Heavenly Father, we come to You this day in the name of Jesus, our righteousness and our Sabbath rest. We come to You pleading for You to open the eyes of our hearts, uh, to open our understanding, Holy Spirit, so that we would be able to feed and feast upon the truth here in Your Word this morning together with the saints. We pray, Holy Spirit, also that You would comfort those who are not resting this morning, those who are sorrowful this morning in Colorado. And Lord, we especially pray for those who do not know the rest that we experience this morning in Christ. We, we pray that those people who are going through this tragedy, this suffering, and this sorrow because of sin, we pray that they would, by Your grace, turn to the rest You provide in Christ. Lord, we, we pray that we would rejoice in that rest and rejoice in the truth that You will bring many, many people into that rest so that we may see and behold your glory and testify to it for eternity. We pray this morning you would help us as we listen, as we learn, and as we apply this truth that we read in Mark's gospel today. Lord, we, we, we really want, we want to know you more. And you have given us your word and your spirit to bring that to pass. And so we want to submit to your means of growth, your means of grace this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Exodus, Exodus 20, verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees, had distorted the one command from God that was intended to point them to his gracious rest that he would provide through the Messiah, Jesus. Deuteronomy 5 points that out. Deuteronomy 5, 12 to 15. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Verse 15 alludes to the gospel. We are told here that the people of God in the Old Testament were told to remember that God would provide rest. And He would provide that rest through His mercy, through His command, He says. I have given you this, this command so you can remember Me, so you can rejoice in Me, so that you can rest in My mercy. I brought you out of slavery into rest. I think that alludes to the gospel. That's what he does for us. The gospel is our Sabbath rest from our own self-righteous works. We rest in another. 
We rest in the one who came to give us mercy and grace, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. The word Sabbath, I think we all are probably familiar with the word, but let me just go ahead and give you some definition here for your, for your sake and for our good. Um, the word Sabbath comes from the word sabbaton. Its root word, its root verb meaning is to cease, to cease, to stop. And God defined the Sabbath in Genesis. If you go over to Genesis real quickly, Genesis 2, God is the one who gave the Sabbath and God is the one who defines the Sabbath. He defined the Sabbath here in Genesis 2, 3, when he himself ceased from his work of creation. When he ceased. He didn't need to relax. He didn't need to physically rest. He is simply stating something about what he did. He stopped in the acts of creation, and he, he ceased from creating any, anymore. It says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This rest was a gift to his people. God could have easily commanded that we work every day. We continue to work with no days off. We don't deserve anything more than that or less than that. We deserve to work all the time. Yet God, he and his grace and mercy gave his people one day out of seven to rest. And that was a kindness that even the world has to take advantage of because he ordained the work week. He is the one who gave us the week and the calendar that we use. The Sabbath referred then to the day that God allowed Israel to cease from their work and rely upon his mercy. He took care of them on that day. He said, look, you work all week. You do what I'm telling you to do, and I'll take care of you on this day of rest. The Sabbath was the very subject that we see being approached in Mark's gospel today in Mark 2. It was the subject of Christ's next conflict in Mark 2, 23. You can turn there with me. Let's read about that together. If you're paying attention to Mark's gospel, from the beginning of 2 all the way through to here to the end of 2, we have nothing but conflicts. Jesus is being hounded by these Pharisees, these scribes who follow him around, and they bring up all kinds of things to him. And what's interesting to me is this just it's one thing over another here that he builds upon until he sort of brings everything to its culmination here on the issue of the Sabbath. Jesus exhibits in this chapter that he is Lord over, over all things. He's Lord over what it shows here even in chapter 1 over the doctrines of men. He's Lord over the diseases of men. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over sin. He's Lord over all these things. And he's bringing this to a head here on the issue of the Sabbath. He is saying, look, even this I am Lord over. He is making a point to these people who want to have these conflicts with him and deny his authority. Let's look what it says in 2, 23 to 28. One Sabbath, he, speaking of Jesus, was going through, and this, this word through here means to journey alongside or on a trail. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read? Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those 
who were with him. How he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made or came into existence. That's what this word means. The Sabbath was made for mankind, for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is kurios, means master, lord, owner, creator, even of the Sabbath. Now, Jesus just raised the bar in this conflict. He, he went from displaying his lordship to declaring his lordship to these Pharisees. And in Mark, to give you an outline here, Mark 2, 23 to 28, what we see is this conflict beginning with three statements. First, a distorted accusation in verses 23 to 24. And then we hear a direct correction in verses 25 to 26. And then we hear a divine declaration in verses 27 to 28. These Pharisees do not know who they are messing with. And he is going to make it clear to them who he is. And then they desist, cease and desist from their attacks. Yet they don't. Because there's something that drives the Pharisee that's greater than mercy and greater than grace. It's pride and prejudice and jealousy. In Mark 2.23-24, the conflict begins with, number one, a distorted accusation from tradition. Not from Scripture, not from the law of God, but from the tradition of men. Verse 23 says, One Sabbath... He was going through the grain fields. Again, he wasn't breaking any command here by going through this grain field. This is actually a practice that people would, would, would actually operate in during this time period because you traveled from place to place and you had to go through these different fields and they allowed the trail to go through these grain fields. And this was part of the, the, the lifestyle of the Jew as they traveled from place to place. They would travel these fields and they would do what you see happening here. As they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And verse 24 says, the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? This, this little picture here, this little vignette of what's happening here is, is happening probably on a day that either Jesus is going up to the synagogue to teach or coming back from the synagogue from teaching. He's a rabbi, he's a teacher, and he's, he's traveling from one place to the other on a Sabbath. And this, this text places us in a field with him walking with Jesus as he is being followed by two different groups of people, his disciples who are full of joy and these Pharisees who are full of envy. These men who are distorted by their religious traditions, they follow Jesus as well as those who rejoice in his grace. In Mark 2.23, the conflict begins whenever Jesus' disciples begin to do what is called glean, gleaning, gleaning grain as they went through this trail. But the actual problem, the real problem that's at the heart of the Pharisee is that Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, was allowing his disciples to ignore the Pharisees' traditions and the Pharisees' authority. That's at the heart of the problem. 
So in 2.24, the Pharisees ask what appears to be a question, but in reality is a very distorted accusation. I'll say this, it is a demonic accusation. It is a deadly accusation. Jesus is being accused of breaking the Sabbath day by allowing his disciples to violate their laws. He's responsible for his disciples. The Pharisees know this. That's why they accuse him in this question of basically allowing them to break the Sabbath. Hence, he is guilty also. It's a deadly accusation in the time of Christ. You have to realize what's at stake here. If they can prove that Jesus has violated the Sabbath, do we know what will happen to Jesus? What they have the right to do? If they could prove that he was guilty, they could put him to death immediately. That's what the law of God called for. The law of God called for this. If he has broken the Sabbath in any way, he could have been put to death. Look what Numbers 15 says. Numbers 15. Go way back there in your Bibles. I'll give everybody a minute to get there. It's not a book you go to a lot. I know. Numbers 15, 32 to 36 gives us an example of what they were to do if they found someone breaking the law of the Sabbath that God had ordained. Numbers 15:32 says... While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done on him or to him. And the Lord said to Moses, The man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. I read this little account here and I think about the Pharisees and I think there's a big difference. Notice these people hesitated. These people were concerned about what they should do. The Pharisees, they weren't hesitating. They were waiting and following Jesus, hoping he would break the command so they could kill him. Could you imagine these people taking someone they loved out into this field outside the camp, picking up stones to crush his skull in with, and how they dreaded it, and how they hated it, and how they, they saw the evil part of sin being displayed in this. And yet the Pharisees don't seem to have any hesitation when it comes to killing Jesus. It just shows you the evil nature of man's pride and his love for tradition above the grace of God. We want to do something so that we receive glory. And the gospel says, you do nothing and you receive grace. Christ has done it all. The sinful men, we, we aren't happy with that. We want to add to grace, tradition, rituals, pride, praise. Exodus, if you go over to Exodus, it also gives you the mandate here on what to do if someone is guilty of breaking the Sabbath. Exodus 31, 15 to 17. Exodus 31, 15 to 17 says, Six days 
shall work be done. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. The Pharisees knew these laws existed. They knew what the implication was when they accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath. That is the very reason they were following him, hoping for him to drop the ball. They wanted to catch him in something. Imagine this. They, they had some rules, which we'll go over in a few moments. They had some rules that actually probably forbade them from following Jesus this far. Yet they broke their own self-righteous rules to come after Jesus. Because that's the nature of man. The nature of man knows that we can't even keep our own rules. And if we can do something to exalt ourselves, we'll break our own anytime. So we can find fault in someone else. And that's what they're doing here. In Mark 2.24, the Pharisees accused him with malicious intent. And, and you look at this text, and you, and you think about this. And I remember, I remember this text and the text that follows immediately after this about when Jesus goes into the synagogue on a Sabbath and he heals this man with a withered hand. And I remember reading this to Haddon one time when he was probably about four or five years old. I remember reading it to Haddon and I said, look at what Jesus did when he went to the synagogue and he healed this man who, who had never been able to use his hand and, and Haddon's all smiling. And the next thing you know in verse 6, it says that when the Pharisees saw this, they began to plot for Jesus' death. The response of the self-righteous was evil, intent, at the glorious grace of Jesus showing mercy to a sinner who had a withered hand. Look what they're doing here in 2.24 or 23. These disciples are simply going through a field, plucking grain and eating it. It's just simply the, the field, if you can imagine a trail winding through this field, and in that field, it's just the grain sort of like leaning over the trail, and you kind of push it out of the way as you go, and they're reaching up and pulling off a little bit and rubbing it in their hands like this, and then there's the grain, and they blow off the chaff, and, chaff and then they, they eat the grain. This is all they're doing. And these Pharisees are saying, see, see, they're breaking the Sabbath. But when we read this, we have to question and, and think, okay, is there some place in Scripture that tells us that this is a breaking of the Sabbath. Was plucking and eating grain considered a Sabbath violation? Not in God's law. Picking and eating the heads of grain was not a prohibition. It was actually provided for. Look again back with me in the Old Testament to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 23, 25. Deuteronomy 23, 25 said this was actually something God had allowed for because God Listen, the, the law of God isn't given to be a burden to anyone. It's to point to the holiness of the lawgiver and his care for his people. It was not to be a burden. It was to be a blessing. And so even within his law, he gave little things like this to show his mercy. Verse 25 says, If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So they could eat this. They could glean as they went through the field. Now, they couldn't harvest. Harvesting would be thievery. They would be taking from someone else what didn't belong to them, what they didn't work for. But in the time of Christ, the Pharisees 
didn't focus so much on that text in Deuteronomy as their own traditions and rituals and their additions to the law of God that they put together. They had turned this day of rest, believe it or not, into a day of labor because they tied up burdens on the backs of the people by putting new rules and regulations, one on top of the other, to keep those people underneath their domination, their control, and their pride loved it. They had regulations and rules to determine what everything was in their view. They, they even had a, a, a way of determining what, just, what is labor, what is work. So they said that God said you can't labor on the Sabbath day. So, okay, what does that mean? I mean, does it mean you, just, you can't go out and plow a field? Okay, that's work. But what about other things? So they, they decided they would put together details, a detailed map, if you will, of what it means to work. In reality, what they ended up doing, this is what Jesus said they ended up doing, they ended up straining at a gnat, or strained at a gnat, and they swallowed a camel. Here's what they did. They, they sought righteousness through details, and they missed God's grace. They missed his mercy. They missed, they missed the mercy and grace that was even given in the Sabbath. Here's what they were doing in, in adding to his word these different regulations. They were, they were saying that God was too free. God is too gracious. He's allowed too much freedom here. We need to fill in the details. God has left something out. And we know what men are like, so we will fill in the details. And so they begin to add to God's revelation. And listen, whenever you add to God's revelation, you will distort God's revelation. Because he will have a little bit of you in it. And that's what happened here when they began to strain at gnats and swallow camels. They added Sabbath regulations. I'm going to give you a whole list of some regulations that they added to this regulation of the Sabbath that God has given for grace for a mercy. And they gave it to him as a burden here by adding these things. It says in the, one of the, the writings of the Hebrew rabbis, here's what they would have to do in adding to these things. They would add things like this. You could not on the Sabbath day travel more than 3,000 feet. You couldn't go more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath day. Now, on Friday though, before the sun goes down, if you went and stuck some food right at like you know, 2,999 feet, and you set it right there, that's actually an extension of your house. So now you can walk to that, pick that up, and go another 3,000 feet. And then they would continue on with things like that. They found ways to get around their own laws because that's the nature of man's mani manipulating deceitful heart. They also added this to the Sabbath. They said that, you know, you can't carry anything. You can't carry a load. You can't carry a burden. And they said, okay, how do we determine what a burden is? Because, you know, what a burden is to you may not be what a burden is to me. So they said, we've got to define this. God left this you know, a blank here for us. They said that a burden could, could be carried that weighed more than a dried fig. No burden could be weighed, rather, that may, weighed more than a dried fig, or half of a fig carried two times. They said that you couldn't carry, like, your your cloak from one room to the other, but if you put it on, you could walk from one room to the other and take it off. They said that if you put an olive in your mouth and spit it out because it was bad, you couldn't put a whole one back in next time because you tasted the flavor of the whole olive. They said if a person was in on, uh, a person in one place reached out his arm on the Sabbath day and the Sabbath overtook him, 
he would not, or he would have to actually drop the food, whatever he reached out to grab, he would have to drop that, and he couldn't return his arm, or he would be carrying a burden, and that would be sin. You couldn't sell anything on the Sabbath day. You couldn't buy anything on the Sabbath day. You couldn't even wash yourself on the Sabbath day. A letter could not be sent, even if it was sent via a heathen. You couldn't light a fire on the Sabbath day. Cold water could be poured on warm, but warm water couldn't be poured on cold on the Sabbath. You couldn't take a bath because, here's why, you couldn't take a bath because of the fear that when water fell off of you, it might actually wash the floor, and that's work. Chairs could not be moved because if you moved a chair, it could cause a rut, and that would be plowing. And the only way you could get around well, you couldn't even get around that, but even, even if you, even at spitting, you couldn't spit unless you hit a rock first because if you hit the ground when you spit, you're plowing. If you hit the rock, it bounces off, I guess it's okay. It was just ridiculous what they, they, they tied on top of God's law and God's people. I mean, you think about this. On a Sabbath day, these are the things going through your head when you get up in the morning. What are you going to do? Does this sound like a day of rest? Like a day of burdens. Because man mixed his works into God's grace. One of the burdens that they added was what Jesus was having to deal with here in Mark 2. They, they added one that dealt with what the disciples of Christ were doing here. Matter of fact, go over to, to Luke. Just keep your finger in Mark, but go to Luke 6.1. Let's just read that for just a second here. To get, to get, this sort of expands what was going on whenever the disciples were plucking the grain. There was more going on than plucking. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, the disciples plucked and ate, notice, plucked, ate, some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. So they did three things for sure, right? They actually probably did the other thing, which would be to blow the chaff away and they, before they ate it. And the Pharisees had taught in their traditions that on the Sabbath day, if you roll wheat in your hands to remove the husk, that is sifting. And if you rub the heads of wheat, it's threshing. And if you throw the chaff or blow the chaff into the air, that's winnowing. So picking, rubbing, blowing, and then eating was all considered to be a Sabbath violation. It was work. The Pharisees saw the disciples here in Mark 2.23 as breaking the Sabbath as they were reaping and threshing and sifting and winnowing and preparing food to eat. And what really, I think, completely infuriated these Pharisees wasn't just the, the act of eating and preparing this wheat. It was the fact that this new rabbi, Jesus, was allowing these disciples to exhibit this behavior and undermine the Pharisees' authority. And that's really what Jesus was doing. He was most definitely wanting them to know they have no authority. He wanted to make that clear. He makes it very clear at the end of this text. The issue there in Mark 2.24 was that Jesus, for the Pharisees anyway, he was a threat. He was a threat to their authority and to their glory. And, and they would rather find something wrong with him and accuse him of breaking the Sabbath so they could kill him rather than giving up their traditions and losing their power. That's, that's the danger of legalism. 
And, and don't think that it only affects the Pharisees. We all have a Pharisee inside of us. We're all born Pharisees. Think about how easy it is to follow this Pharisaical pattern. We do it all the time as Christians. We set up personal and good standards in our life, and that's not bad. Convictions are good. But then we criticize others who don't agree or follow our own personal convictions immediately. And we don't even take into consideration that we came to these conclusions over much time and growth and study. Yet because they don't agree with us, we feel challenged by them, so we, we criticize them like a Pharisee. Or we look down on other Christians because they don't affirm our biblical convictions in this church immediately. Again, forgetting that it took much time and much grace from God to convince us of the doctrines that we hold dear in our own hearts. But when we, we don't take that into consideration, we look at those people who have different biblical convictions and we consider them as the weaker brothers. And we look down upon them. And we might even ignore them. We might even shun them. We might even wish they weren't here. But sad is, we all know in our personal convictions and our biblical convictions that we all fall short of our own standards. We certainly fall short of God's standard. But bl the, the blindness that we have is because of our pride in our hearts. It's the same pride that the Pharisees had in their hearts. And, and it does the same kind of damage. It hurts others and it wants to destroy relationships just like the Pharisees were trying to attempt with Christ and his own disciples. We have to remember something. The Pharisees didn't start off bad. They were trying to protect the law of God. They had good motives, but they weren't driven by Scripture and grace and mercy. Good motives are easily distorted by pride. And aren't you glad that Jesus died to set us free from our own pride, our own pharisaical hearts? He died to put that to death. His work on the cross crushed the work of pride, and it should have crushed the work of pride in our hearts even today as we think about how we exhibit pharisaical attitudes too often. Let's go back to, to Mark. Mark 2, 25 and 26. Here we see how Jesus is going to respond to these prideful men. And this is how we need to respond to the pride in our own hearts. We need to put it to death. We need to put it to death by going to Scripture to deal with it. So Jesus responds here in, in 2, 25 to 26 to these distorted accusations with a direct correction from Scripture. He doesn't try to defend himself. He goes to the text and says, Here, here's what God has said. Here's what God has revealed about the Sabbath and about regulations and about who I am. And then he says it's really sharp, direct, harsh, if you will, statement to rebuke these Pharisees. And I hope you see it. And he said to these, these keepers of the law, these keepers of God's word, he says, have you never read? I mean, come on. You guys say you know all this and you've not read this? And this is a death blow to their pride. He's striking at their heart. We need that ourselves. 
too many times. We, we think we know how to be holy on our own, like these Pharisees, until we read God's Word and see that His holiness is displayed through His mercy. Think about this. The mercy of Christ on the cross shows us the holiness of God and His grace to sinners like us. Instead of judging others, we should be more like Christ on that cross, looking at those around us and saying, you need forgiveness too. Just like all of us who stand below the cross receiving forgiveness from Him. Jesus says in Mark 2.25, Have you never read what David did when he was in need? See, God sees in this, there's a need, there's mercy here needing to be exhibited. He was in need and was hungry. He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And this time they would put the bread of presence out on the Sabbath and it would be warm bread and they would take the old bread, the 12 loaves of bread off that represent the 12 tribes of Israel, take it off the table into the back and then the priest would eat the old bread that had been out all week. That's the bread he's talking about here. And, and what Jesus does in, in answering this accusation, he just, he just bypasses their personal shot at him and he goes right to the heart. He challenges these Pharisees, he challenges their pride and their distortion scripturally by pointing to 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. You can go there with me. 1 Samuel 21, 1-6. It says, Then David came to Nob, to Elimelech the priest, and Elimelech came to David trembling and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Elimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. If the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, truly women have been kept from us as always, when I go on an expedition. The vessels of, young, of the young men are holy even when it is ordinarily an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? So the priest gave him the holy bread, and there was no bread there but the bread of the presence, which is removed before or from before the Lord to be replaced by hot bread on the day it is taken away. What Jesus is doing here, he's, he's taking them to Scripture to show them what happened at the time here of David when he came on this journey being chased by King Saul, being chased by his enemy, his wrong enemy, chased away from his own kingdom, and he came to, it says Elimelech, but in the text we're reading in Mark it says someone else's name. Well, Abathar's father was Elimelech, and he served with him, and at the end of his life, he served as the high priest. And Abathar became the more well-known of the priests. And Abathar would have been the one that the Israelites and the Jews in Jesus' day would have recognized the story of David being connected to. Throughout the rest of 1 Samuel, you see Abathar and David working hand in hand. And the priest here in this story, he understood something about this request. And he understood something about God's law. 
He understood that God's law did not set aside God's mercy. In this narrative, what's going on is you have David fleeing from Saul who wants to kill him. Saul is jealous over David. He is jealous over God's approval of David. Now, there's a connection between this story and Jesus and the Pharisees. David here, God's king, his righteous king, was having to beg for bread when he should have been feasting in his own kingdom. But instead he was pushed out of the camp by pride, by the pride of Saul. And, and Jesus is saying here, where, where the law, in this story, where the law did not provide food and direction, God's mercy stepped in because the law was not meant to starve the hungry. The law was meant to be a blessing. God's mercy is never divorced from his law. And legalism will blind people to see that. But grace will open their eyes to see God's mercy. And Jesus is saying, look, to these Pharisees, just like David was pushed out of the camp because of their sinful pride in Israel because of following Saul, here I am, the rightful king, the rightful true king, being pushed out of my kingdom because of the prideful attitudes of the Pharisees. Yet all I want to do is care for my men. Let them rest in my direction, in my protection, not in these traditions of men. Go with me to, to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. This is what Jesus' intent was in this account of the same narrative. In Matthew 12, 1, it says, at, the time, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath, on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's saying, look, the law didn't set aside mercy. God doesn't want your rituals and your performance. He has given you His grace and His care and His direction because he has mercy for sinners. And you have turned his merciful gift of this day of rest into a burden to lay upon people. And here I am. I am the Lord. I understand the point of this. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And so he directly corrects them by saying, look, he, he gave this as a gift. He didn't give it as a burden. Now back in Mark 2, after the direct correction... We have a divine declaration from the Lord Jesus himself in 2.27 and 28. Read 27, it says, And he said to them, The Sabbath was created. It was made for man. It was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath wasn't to be a day of burdens, a day that strapped onto our back that made us weary and worn out. 
It's not for us to be a slave to it. Rather, it was given to us because we're slaves to our work. It's given to us to rest. And, and Jesus is simply affirming the purpose of the Sabbath, that it was for man's good, and it was also meant for God's glory, because it reflects God's mercy toward his people. God granted this day, this one day of seven, to cease from work and to give thanks to our Creator. That's why the day was given. It was, a, it was to be a day of rejoicing and rest and refreshment. And they turned it into a burden and didn't see it as a blessing any longer. It was a gift from God given to Israel to allow them to rest from their weariness, rest from their work. But it was not just given as a temporary ritualistic rest from work to the nation Israel. Uh -uh. The Sabbath was given for a greater purpose than that. The Sabbath was given to point men to the hope of eternal rest that the Lord of the Sabbath himself would provide for us mercifully if we trust in him. In him we find joy. In him we find rest. In him we find eternal peace. Jesus is the one who provided that for us. That's what he's saying in the text when he says, I am even Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus provided our Sabbath rest as Christians. It was provided through not his rest, it was provided through his righteous work. You do know that we are saved by works, right? By the works of Christ, not by our works. Our works are defiled, his works were righteous. God accepts His work in our place. He provided in His work eternal rest, a Sabbath for His people. We cease from trying to earn God's favor. We cease from trying to use our self-righteousness to find favor with God, and we trust in a foreign righteousness that's been imputed to us, granted to us by God's mercy, that brings us into the eternal rest that He promised His people. And he pointed to in giving the Sabbath law. Look at Romans 3. Romans 3 tells us that Jesus provided our rest through his work. Romans 3.21 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or a, an appeasement offering by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The same David that Jesus illustrates and uses as an illustration here in Mark's Gospel was, I think, spoken of in this text in some sense. David's sins with Bathsheba were not ignored by God. They were dealt with at the cross of Christ. 
And David was saved by trusting in Jesus' work because his works, even as the righteous king of Israel, fell short of the righteousness of Christ that God demanded. Jesus worked in our place to grant us what we could never earn on our own. Hebrews 10 also shows us how we receive a Sabbath rest through the righteous works of Christ. Hebrews 10, 1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. This would be a body that would perform the righteous acts for us. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of your book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, and by that we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest or every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It says when Jesus took on a body and fulfilled the righteous requirements of God's law and he entered into glory, he ceased from his work. He sat at the right hand, the place of authority. He ceased. He sat down. And now those who trust in Him are seated with Him in the heavenlies. We are resting in Him. He is our Sabbath. He is our Sabbath rest. It is found in Christ's work and His completion of our work for us. The Gospels call us to rest in this finished work, this righteous act, not our own. But, but the Gospel of Mark goes even further in the last phrase there in Mark 2.28. Because of the people he's dealing with, he had to be very specific. He had to not only point out that he was going to be, he's going to be a slave, he's going to be a servant for many to be saved through his works, but he's also more than a slave. He is the sovereign one. And he, he makes it really clear to these men here and throughout the rest of this gospel, that you will find no Sabbath rest unless you trust in who Jesus truly is. See, this, this is the key issue here. There is no rest for those who do not know Jesus. And if they redefine Jesus and they deny Jesus, like the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormons or Islam, they will never find a Sabbath rest. 
Only those who submit to the revelation of God's word about Jesus will find rest in Jesus. Stay, stay in Mark, but flip over to Romans 10. Because this is what Mark is going to say too. Romans 10, 9 makes it very clear who Jesus is and who it is we must trust in to be saved and to find eternal rest. Verse 9 says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is kurios, Lord, Master, Owner, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is not a repeat-after-me prayer. This is something that comes from the heart. This is the regenerated heart responding to the grace that it has received by God saying, He is Lord, He is Master, He is my keeper, He is my owner. I've been purchased with His blood. I belong to Him now. If you believe that, you're justified. And you will confess it. You will testify to your salvation. That's what he goes on to say. He says the only way this can happen, though, is in, in Romans here, the only way this can happen is, is if you hear faithful words about Jesus. Verse 17. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ, or faithful words about Christ. There is no salvation unless you believe in who Christ is, and you trust in Him, and you confess that He is Lord, and you submit to His Lordship with your entire life. Pharisees would not do that. The Pharisees did not receive Christ as Lord, therefore they found no rest. They didn't receive Him as Lord because they hated who He claimed to be if He was Lord. It means He is their owner, He is their master, and they're not in control any longer, and they have been blaspheming Him. If Jesus was God, the Pharisees were doomed because they had changed all His rules. They'd messed with his word. And they knew the charge for that was serious. They would not receive Jesus. They hated him. Jesus explains this, and he, he explains it over and over in the gospel accounts. And he says, these, these people who believe because they're Abraham's children by blood, that they're in the kingdom, they don't realize that they're really sons of Satan unless they believe upon me the one Abraham trusted in. Abraham was not justified by works. He was justified by faith in the promised Messiah. And Jesus wants to make it really clear to these Pharisees who he is once and for all. That's what we see in Mark 2.28. He declares that he is Lord even over the Sabbath that they had distorted. He says, so, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. The Pharisees knew, they knew that they had to submit to Yahweh, the Yahweh who gave them the Sabbath. They knew they must submit to Yahweh. And now Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh. He is claiming to be the creator of the Sabbath, the Lord even of the Sabbath. He's already made it clear that he is Lord over the doctrine that they taught in chapter 1. He's Lord over the demons that possessed men in chapter 1. He's Lord over the diseases that affect men in chapter 1 and 2. And then he's Lord over forgiveness and sin, and he grants what only God can give in chapter 2 to the paralytic. He is Lord over the self-righteous. 
and the sinner. He's making a claim to be God, and they knew it, and they hated him for it. The Pharisees understood that it was God who ordained the Sabbath in Genesis 2-3. And so they had to be able to put this together really quickly, that God alone is the Lord of the Sabbath, and if Jesus is claiming to be Lord of the Sabbath, then that means he's God. And we are judging God. We can't have that, so he can't be God. So they, they reject him. They reject his revelation. And they pursue their own form of self-righteous works to obtain God's favor. And they find themselves severed from him for eternity. We know that God alone is the Lord of the Sabbath and all of its regulations and how to express mercy within it. When Jesus claims this, he's claiming that he is God straight up. And he's saying that only the Lord of the Sabbath can grant you what you think you're earning. Only the Lord of the Sabbath can grant you eternal rest. And that can only be done by a sovereign act of grace, not by your works and your righteousness. It can only be done sovereignly by Him intervening in our lives and turning us from trusting or resting in our own self-righteousness and turning and causing us to rest in His righteousness, not our own efforts. That's good news. That's good news because we know our own hearts, as much as we can anyway, and we know that there are not enough good deeds that we can do in our life to overturn one heinous crime against a holy and righteous God. Your good deeds can't erase one act, one act of anarchy against God. You can compile them like the Apostle Paul did and said they all count as manure at the end of the day in relation to knowing Christ and to be found in Him. Let me just say this too. If we understand who Jesus is and that He is sovereignly working to give us eternal rest, we also know that He is sovereignly working to give us peace now. He's sovereignly working to give us assurance now. If we have confessed Him, if we are trusting in Him, if we are living for Him... We should have peace and rest as Christians. That's part of that Sabbath rest that we enjoy at this point in our salvation. It's not just something we look for in the future. But if you're, if you're trying to rest in your performance as a Christian to try to make God happy and be a good Christian, you're always going to come short and fall short of His glory. You're going to be frustrated. You're not resting in Christ when you do this. If you think when you do something that God is going to love you less if you don't do it the way He has commanded, then you have misunderstood grace. Because there's nothing in us that can actually perform perfectly all that God has commanded. Only Christ could do that. His grace covers our sins and causes us to want to repent of our sins and turn to Him in faith. And that brings about our sanctification. I'm not trying to grunt it out. I'm not trying to earn it. Grace transforms us from the inside out. That's what we rest in. And trust me, if you're truly born again and Jesus is Lord of your life, when you sin, you'll not be satisfied. You will be repentant. You will hate your sin and you will love your Savior because you see what your sin did to your Savior and you will turn from it because the Spirit of God is at work in you. Now, if there's no turning, if there's just trying to earn more favor, you may not be saved. 
you may need to repent of your self-righteousness, repent of your religious activity, and turn in faith to the work of Christ and Christ alone. We all need to examine ourselves. God's love for us today is not based on our performance. It's based on Christ. We rest in Jesus. We rest in His righteous works. When I fall short of what I need to do, I look to Christ because He never fails short. That's my hope. That's my rest. That's my assurance. That's my peace. So Jesus is saying, if you know the Lord of the Sabbath, you will know peace. You'll know rest. But unless you turn to him and turn away from your self-righteousness, you'll know nothing but his justice and his judgment. Sadly, the only religious leader that I can really find apart from the Apostle Paul that looks like there's hope for in the New Testament was Nicodemus. The majority of what you see in relation to the Pharisees around Jesus is sinful pride that drove him to the cross. And that's where Mark takes us from here on out. We're on a fast pace to the cross, cross as Jesus describes mercy and grace to people throughout this area, this region, in the face of much conflict with the Pharisees and the religious. Let's pray this morning as we study this, as we study more of God's Word, even in the second hour, that we would think about who it is that is Lord of the Sabbath and how He how he should lead us into his rest even today when we struggle with sin and self-righteousness. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that you have given us your word to guide us and you've given us your spirit and you have bestowed upon us mercy and grace so that we could actually now rest from our own works, rest from our own efforts and trust in Christ, which is amazing because as we trust in you, Jesus, we want to do more for you. We want to exalt you. We want to walk in holiness, which is the very, very desire that you put in us because of your holiness when you regenerate our souls. We pray today that we would, we would always look to Christ as our rest and always rejoice in that rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, 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 oh.
I shall see the 